It is such a great joy to have our brother here. He's ministered so well this weekend. He's got a special treat for us. You, you are doing what you said you were going to do? Okay, he's going to try. We're going to have a great time tonight, and we're going to be very blessed. Welcome with me, Pastor Eric Strauss. Praise the Lord. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2 as I get situated here. Appreciate you and that you would come and be part and to see and uh, all that God is doing here is very exciting. Rochester has a big place in my heart. Undoubtedly, you realize that. The pizza. Let me tell you, you you have pizza here that we don't have in California. Incredible. And White Hots. I was raised on White Hots. I will give my right arm. White Hots and mustard. Maybe we should just close the service right now. One thing I forgot to mention last night that I think is worthy. Uh, one of the young men that got saved in 1983 was John Daddio. And he was a big part of a lot of what we did. Unfortunately, he fell away, got back involved in drugs. And while we we're still at the Sheraton Inn, he showed up one morning after the service and tried to kill me with a screwdriver. It was uh, pretty nasty, but... I survived, you can tell. But what's interesting is that down the road, and I can't tell you the exact year, but I'm in Southern California. And he shows up at my house in Southern California having ridden across the United States in his motorcycle to apologize. It's like it was something that was incredible and such a blessing. And I don't know where he is today. I I have no idea, but that he had the wherewithal. I'm going to make it right. I'm going to do what it takes. And I'm going to make sure I apologize. And I appreciate him for that. And I have that memory. My daughter was born in 1980, Heidi. And uh, from six months to 18 months, we were at the doctor's office 22 times. 22 times in one year. Ultimately, she would get powerfully and wonderfully healed. But in light of that, we began to participate in something. And I want to read a, a note that was sent to her earlier this year. You are part of the longest-running study of respiratory health from birth to adult life in the world. Starting in 1980, to study the early origins of respiratory diseases, the Tucson Children's Respiratory Study has been funded by the National Institutes of Health for more than 40 years. This was only possible because of your participation. All the questionnaires that you and your parents completed 
and the lung function tests that you performed have provided our researchers with the means to discover some of the early origins of lung diseases. Your participation has transformed the way we think about asthma and has improved care for respiratory illnesses in children and adults worldwide. By participating in this world-famous study, you've helped make history. Thank you for your contribution, your support, and the blessing that you have been to this. Forty years, from 1980 to 2022, and all the research and all that is done they enrolled 1,246 newborns and began to study the respiratory issues that they had and what subsequently would transpire into their adult life. And they changed their approach and their treatment of respiratory illnesses. There's something about seeing things through. There's something about taking the time that is necessary Because God wants to do something powerful and wonderful. So look with me at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 this evening. The scripture says, Therefore we must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast, And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. And here's the question that we will all give an account and answer. How shall we escape if we, that's you and I, neglect so great a salvation, which was first begun to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So I want to talk about salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect this so great a salvation? I want to consider with you what makes it so great. And there are a number of components that factor into this. Spiritual and secular. So as I share this story, I want you to consider your own life. If you're a child and your parents are bringing you to church, I want you to not only consider your life, but their life. And what goes in the components, the ingredients to this great salvation. First is the spiritual. I want to consider with you for a moment Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Warner. January 1970. Pastor Mitchell takes a struggling Foursquare Gospel Church. You know the testimony. 15, 20 individuals, I believe it was. 
And he begins to work and minister, outreach. People begin to get saved. People begin to respond. Pastor Harold Warner grew up in Connecticut. He's wandering. He's traveling across the United States. He's in Prescott, Arizona. And in November of 1970, he gives his life to the Lord. An incredible conversion. A powerful work of salvation. Then in 1973, it's November, he is sent as one of the early pioneer pastors into Tucson, Arizona. And he would begin in South Tucson in an old adobe building at 125 West Veterans Boulevard. When I came into the church, they had just taken over the entire building. In December of 1975, Pastor Mitchell would make his first trip to Israel. The impact that that trip would have on his life, when he would return, he would begin to preach what he called prophecy conferences. He came to Tucson in January of 1976. And the service that I sat through in that prophecy conference was Tuesday night, and it was a slideshow or a picture show. Today it's all done on big fancy screens, different things, but he showed pictures of his trip. It was like a travelogue. It was very intriguing, though, because he began to speak of the history of Israel. How Israel had remained an occupied nation. How the Jews had been scattered across the landscape for centuries. He began to speak of May 14th, 1948. Israel would become a nation. Things would be happening. Prophecy was being fulfilled. As a student of world history and especially... World War II, the Holocaust, the Jewish people, the birth of the nation of Israel, various other things, I'm intrigued. Because I had no idea that world history was connected to spiritual history. He began to expound on the history of Israel, the past, the present, the future. He began to speak of how Israel was God's time clock to the nations of the world. I was handed a flyer. It piqued my interest because it dealt with history and with prophecy. The couple that took me to that service had only been saved one month. And I subsequently would respond. But what transpired in the lives of two men, Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Warner, had direct impact in my life. Second of all, government institutions. I'm a graduate student at the University of Arizona. It is a state university. I am part 
of a program developed at that university, the College of Business Administration, the Risk Management Department, and Dr. Nestor Roos. That department secured for the very first time an educational grant from the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And I'll add this. For the last 40 years, they've been able to secure a similar grant every year. And when I went back, uh, I think it was last year or the year before, amen, I went back to the uh, uh, university and uh, one of the professors said, thank you, because you were part of the first class and because of what you guys you students accomplished we've been able to secure additional grants for the last 40 years they hired an expert <clears throat> excuse me to teach us the program is now in place and in june of 1975 in a professional magazine that i got at work there's one ad for this educational program at this university. Back then, we had no internet, we had no email, there's no texting. You simply had to write a letter. I wrote. They responded. I wrote back. They responded again. I did nothing. They responded again and again, soliciting my attention asking me to apply. I did. The second week of November 1975, I got my first call on a Monday afternoon at work. I think, I'm not sure their intentions other than I was not accepted because I had not taken what was known as the GRE exam. The <clears throat> entrance exam for graduate school. But because of our discussion, one week later, they called me and said, look, we've waived the requirement. You're accepted into the program. That was a Monday. On Wednesday, I called and said, yes, I'll come. And I had seven weeks, literally, to liquidate everything that I had and move to Tucson, Arizona. I was part of the program. I was making my way to Tucson, Arizona. Then there's corporate America. I began working early in 1973 with the Eastman Kodak Company. I had worked there three summers. I had been working uh, for a large commercial insurance company in the Sibley Tower building and in developing and expertise, I was hired at Kodak. I love working there. I had a great time. I learned a lot. And so in light of being accepted into this graduate program, I had to make a decision concerning the Eastman Kodak Company. So I was able to secure a leave of absence. A leave of absence meant that I was released to attend graduate school with the guarantee that I would have my job when I finished. 
in East Mincodac at that time. Amen. Uh, chances are that I could have returned. I could have got a raise. You got the Kodak bonus. I uh, could have got a promotion now that I had a graduate degree. Who know, A long list of possibilities. But my job was secure. One glitch at corporate America. I made a, submitted an application for financial aid. I was denied. If I had been given financial aid, I would have been obligated to return to Rochester, return to the Eastman Kodak Company the following year in light of their investment in me. Would I have survived? Would I have continued to live for Jesus? The second thing to consider is no one knew in 1976 and 1977 that in the early 1990s, Kodak would hit a wall. And how many would be laid off, forced into retirement, uh, long list. No one knew at that time. And then there's my life. I was born in, in the Genesee Hospital, West Main and Genesee Street. We lived in that area. We moved to Elm Grove and subsequently out to Adams Basin. I went out to Brockport High School. I was on the straight and narrow because I was a student. And I went to school to learn. Test, test. I had one date, senior prom. I would go to college, and again, I was on the straight and narrow. I'm looking to become an engineer. I'm a full-time student. I graduate, become gainfully employed. But the interesting thing is that in light of some circumstances, I got hired at the California Brew House as a bartender. And that day, eight men in the 70s, that was the place. That was the place you would go. Friday, we would go for the liquid lunch. I would work Friday evenings. I would work Wednesday evenings. I'd let my hair down. In December of 1985, on my performance appraisal at the Eastman Kodak Company, my supervisor, in capital letters, underlined, in quotes, Eric is a rebel. That says it all. I go from the straight and narrow to being nasty and miserable. September of 1975, I worked a Saturday night. I hated Saturday nights. The friction, the tension, oftentimes uh, 95% men, 5% women. Uh, it was a, always a challenge, and I end up working that night. I get in three fights. Uh, I'm miserable. I'm broken. And I remember sitting down on a pinball machine, and this was my prayer. God, 
There must be more to life than this. I had a wallet full of cash. I'm a full-time engineer. I'm a part-time bartender. I can walk into most clubs in in Rochester and never pay a penny. I had a reputation. I'm miserable. I'm nasty. I'm lonely. And my prayer was answered because there was more to life than this. And God is saying, I will show you. I step away from my job, my career, my relationships, my friendships, my family. My last day at Eastman Kodak Company was Wednesday, December 24th. The last night I worked was New Year's Eve. 1975, I would leave Friday, January 2nd, amen, and begin to drive across the United States with everything that I owned in a little compact car. I remember waking up Tuesday morning, January 6th, 1976, in Texas Canyon off the I-10 in eastern Arizona to this incredible rock formation. And I was just like, whoa. I thought all Arizona was nothing but desert, and I see these incredible rocks. I make my way into Tucson Park outside the university in a vending machine by the local Tucson newspaper. Take it with me to uh, the uh, uh, business school. Fortunately, the school was closed, but there was a secretary in the office. I introduced myself. We chatted. I said, can I use your phone? And I picked out one one ad in the Tuesday morning local newspaper. Made one phone call. Went to one apartment. Made arrangements to lease that apartment And again, the gal that had her and her husband that had gotten saved the month before simply gave me a flyer for a prophecy conference. One flyer. And in 12 hours, I'm at an altar getting saved. All of that, and I could add other things, makes for a great salvation. Now consider with me this. What did it take to get you saved and into church? Think with me. What did it take? Every single individual here, there are spiritual aspects, uh, spiritual individuals, men and women, amen, that had impact in your life because of something that happened in their life. There may be government, there may be industry, there may be some secular aspect to it all that brought you to Rochester or brought you to the church or put you in contact with someone that is saved. Things are at work and they have nothing to do with you but everything to do with everything outside of you so that we can reach you with the gospel message and see you saved. Why would you want to jeopardize that? 
See, is there no value? We put more value today into things. We monitor the value of gold or silver or precious metals. The value of entertainment or athletics. A long list. We put our value in those things at the expense oftentimes of our own salvation and our eternal well-being. The most valuable thing that could ever happen for you and I is salvation. All that went into it, uh, the life, the ministry of Jesus, uh, amen, the crucifixion on the cross, subsequent burial and resurrection from the dead, that He would ascend into heaven making intercession for you and I, orchestrating the affairs of our life. That what transpired in Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Warner would have impact in my life and subsequently in yours. What happened with the federal government and and the provisions had impact in my life. Eastman Kodak Company. And my own decisions... As I look back on the circumstances surrounding my own salvation, I see incredible value. It's mind-blowing to me. God's orchestrating all of these things to bring me to Tucson, Arizona, bring me to the church there on a Tuesday evening to watch a slideshow and listen to a travelogue, amen, by somebody that went to Israel. And the impact that that would have in my life. That it would connect the dots between secular history and spiritual history. The nation of Israel and the Jewish people and how God moved and redeemed an entire nation and in turn could do the same thing in our lives as individuals. It is great. Why would we want to diminish the greatness of salvation. Why would we want to make it anything less? See, what went into your salvation? What prompted me to even think about this was Pastor Warner emailed me in light of the 50th anniversary of the Tucson Church. And he asked me, would you tap into your memory banks and tell us about some of the early experiences in the Tucson Church in the 70s and early 80s? And I'm going, Pastor, why did you wait 40 years, 50 years to ask me that? But as I began to think about it, I wrote seven chapters of experiences of what we went through and the things we experienced because of the value that all of this has. The greatness of simply salvation and all that would transpire. 
How shall we escape? If we neglect, overlook, devalue, diminish the importance of our own salvation, how shall we escape? I think of my wife. My wife got an invitation to a park concert just down the street from where she lives. I drove 2,400 miles across the United States to hear the gospel for the first time in my life. She walks down the street to a park concert. Here's the presentation, sits through the altar call, and subsequently goes to church on Sunday morning and gets saved. 19, May of 1976. You may have come across the United States. You may have walked across the street. The fact remains, all the components, all the ingredients that went into your salvation makes it great. I challenge children oftentimes, young people. Your parents are saved. Your parents have brought you to church. Sometimes you think, well, what's the big deal? Why is this so important? You ought to ask your parents, how did mom... Dad, how did you get saved? What was it that went in? Because it impacts my life. I'm here because of you, and you're here because of other things that played into your life. That's what makes it so great. The value, the importance, the significance, all that played in to bringing us to a place of salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It first began to be spoken by the Lord Himself and was confirmed by us. The Apostle is speaking Himself, Peter, John, long list of believers and apostles. Those of us that heard Him, those of us that were that first generation, God bearing witness both with signs and wonders, various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His own will. Does your salvation carry with it any value? Here's the University of Arizona. After 40 years, all of the Youngsters that participated in a study on respiratory illnesses are so grateful. We would never be where we are today and we would never understand the impact that you have made so that we could treat people that are dealing with respiratory illnesses. Salvation runs circles around that, rises far above that. Your eternal well-being, your salvation, the components, the ingredients, events that led up to you getting saved. I didn't grow up in church. I never read the Bible. I cannot tell you if anyone ever witnessed to me. If they did, they absolutely made no impact. And yet I drive 2,400 miles across the United States buy one local newspaper, make one local phone call, 
look at one apartment, receive one flyer, and 12 hours later I'm at church watching slides. Sitting through the altar call, and as I shared this morning, now is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. And that brought me to a place of decision. And as I shared last night, I wake up Wednesday morning unable to curse, cuss, swear, or use the Lord's name in vain. And my prayer was, Lord, if you never do another thing, you've done enough. I walked out of the nightclub scene. I've been sober, haven't touched an alcoholic beverage for over 47 years. And I didn't go through a 12-step program. I didn't go through any other program. I was set free, delivered. I was saved. And my salvation has incredible value. Incredible importance. And I'm often reminded... The impact that my salvation has made, not only in my, uh, my life, but in the other lives of other, thing, other people. We must give the most earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift. This evening, you find yourself drifting. This evening, you find yourself uh, consumed uh, with other things that you think are of greater value. Think again. All that went into your salvation experience. You could have got saved when we started on Lake Avenue. You could have got saved uh, uh, in one of the other locations. All that went into securing the building, the facility, the preaching, amen, the pastor, the congregation, your own life that brought you to that place. It's incredible. It's a miracle. It has incredible value. Don't let it go. Don't allow yourself to drift. Well, I don't smoke. I don't do dope. I don't drink. I don't party. A long list of don'ts. But the challenge here, how shall we escape if we neglect this great, this so great of salvation? The challenge here is to maintain an incredible level of appreciation and value upon your salvation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Just for a moment. This has been a very wonderful time to be here, to recollect, to remember, to remind myself, amen, of the things we did. It's just a joy to see everything after 40 years. The university recognized that. There's something about 40 years. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. Long list of uh, experiences over 40 years. Here's a university, a respiratory study, and they are grateful for those that participated Because those that participated made a difference 
and changed for the better the way they handle respiratory illnesses. How much more our salvation? How much more all the ingredients, the individuals, the facility, the flyer, the ad, the phone call, the invitation, the individuals involved. I mean, when you think about it, it becomes a bit overwhelming. Man, look at what went into bringing me to a place where I might be saved. God is at work above and beyond. And I still remember sitting on that pinball machine praying, God, there must be more to life than this. And sure enough, it's like God said, there is and I'm going to show you. Brings me across the United States. Yes, I was going to back to school, but more than that, it was to bring me to a place where I could hear the gospel and subsequently respond. We're in Rochester, New York this evening. You may be from across the street. You may be from down the road. You may be from another city, another state. But you're here tonight. It's not coincidental. There are components that have fallen into place for this moment for this divine moment in your life and I would encourage you you're not saved you're not born again tonight is the night today is the day of salvation now is the appointed time you have a divine appointment right now will you keep it God has been so faithful to have every component in place for this moment in your life. You would respond simply with an uplifted hand. Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? I want to keep this appointment. Very quickly, put it up. Put it right back down. Maybe you're backslidden. You're away from God. You've drifted. All that went into your salvation experience. You've lost sight. You've, you're devaluing. But you'd like to recapture that tonight. Tonight is your night. And I believe that you can do that. I know many, many backsliders that have come back to Jesus and been powerfully and wonderfully changed. Born again, redeemed. And you'd like us to pray with you, backslider. You'd lift your hand. So I'm going to give you homework this evening. I want you to begin to recollect what it took to bring you to this church and to this moment in your life. I want you to recollect all the components that went into your salvation. How valuable. 
how unique, how divine. Parents, I want you to begin to impart into the lives of your children so they begin to get a revelation of salvation, what it takes, what it took in your life, because you're a big part of their future and living for Jesus. You're adding a component, an understanding what it took, how you came to Jesus, and subsequently how they have ended up in your life and in church with you. Oftentimes I find that many children have no idea how their parents got saved. They see very little value. That has to change. You're drifting this evening. Oh, I'll tell you what. It's time, amen, to return. It's time to get back down to business living for Christ. It's time to remember, remind ourselves the value far beyond rubies and gold. The value your salvation what it took to bring you to Christ in the first place. All that you went through, your circumstances, your thoughts, things in your life, what brought you here. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, worship the Lord. I come into this holy place. As God would deal with you, especially if you're a sinner, backslider, come. We'll pray with you. Amen. We'll believe God for you. Others, as God would challenge you this evening. The value. Cleansing grace.
Let's worship the Lord. Let's praise Him together this evening. Let's thank Him for His work in our midst, His gracious work in our lives. 